Our letter that is circulating the churches of the ancient world has begun to make its turn. We began in Ephesus on the southwest coast of modern-day Turkey, and we moved almost directly north to Smyrna and then to Pergamum. And now the letter begins to head southeast, a bit inland, 45 miles inland to the city of Thyatira. There, tucked in this vulnerable valley, stood an industrial center of the ancient world that was situated along a crucial trade route. Thyatira was known for its textile industry. In fact, you might remember there was a certain seller of purple goods that was from Thyatira. Her name was Lydia. And she was converted during one of Paul's journeys, and we learn about her in Acts chapter 16. Because of all this industry in this little valley, in this little industrial center, trade guilds flourished in this place. And trade guilds were these ancient organizations connecting trades. Think of our modern day trade unions. But one of the problems for Christians living in places like Thyatira is that to be part of the trade guilds means that you are inevitably going to be intertwined with the Greek and Roman religion of the day. Elaborate feasts with food that was sacrificed to idols. Sexual promiscuity in the name of religion. This was all part of the trade guilds, all part of being part of the inworking of society. And yet there's a church there. Despite those challenges, challenges that are not all that uncommon to us as we've seen them in Pergamum, we've seen them in Ephesus, we've seen them in Smyrna. But there's a church in Thyatira, it's the smallest of the seven, and yet, interestingly enough, it receives the longest letter, the longest message of the seven churches. And in one sense, we could or I could preach the message that I preached last week out of the message that's given to Thyatira, because there's a lot of overlap between Pergamum and Thyatira. There's the danger of compromise. There's the importance of, of right doctrine in the church. There's the beauty of the life that Jesus will bring for those who overcome. Those are the things that we talked about last week, and those indeed are things that apply here to the valley of Thyatira. For just a few minutes, I'm not going to preach the same sermon I preached last week, and I want to focus not on the danger that I presented, the danger of compromise, but I want to go a little deeper and look at the defense against these things as the church and what Jesus calls the church to do in light of the face of compromise. Two truths for us this morning to think about and to meditate on for the next few minutes. And the first one is this. Jesus calls us, and when I say us, I don't mean 
just you, I mean us, corporately, Jesus calls us as a church to the vital work of discernment. Jesus calls us to the vital work of discernment. Now, every day of our lives are filled with decision-making, right? Some decisions are small. Where should I stop for gas? Some decisions are large. Should I let that person go based upon their job performance? The decision-making that God calls his church to, that Jesus calls his church to, is a matter of life and death. Now, I got into some trouble last week with at least one of our kids by using words that they didn't understand. And so I needed to find discernment because I know some of you kids are thinking, what does the word discernment mean? There was a book written about discernment a few years back. It's a good book particularly in our Christian context, and it's got a great definition from that book, and it's this. Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's Word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. Does that make sense, kids? Let me repeat it. Discernment is the skill of understanding and applying God's Word with the purpose of separating truth from error and right from wrong. That's what Jesus calls His church to be about. It's a supernatural activity. What I mean by that is it's a Spirit-led discipline, but it's one that's grounded in the revelation that he has given us in his word. And what that means is, it doesn't, well, what that doesn't mean is that there needs to be a Bible verse about everything. There's not a Bible verse about everything. But it does mean that God has given us in his word everything that we need for life and godliness. And therefore, discernment Identifying right from wrong, applying God's word to situations led by his spirit is possible. And it's exactly what the church in Thyatira lacked. They lacked discernment. They had done a lot of good things. They had loved. They had been faithful. Their lives, their community had been full of service, but just like Pergamum, they had compromised concerning teaching in their midst. With Pernum, it was the teaching of Balaam. Here in Thyatira, it's the teaching of Jezebel. The teaching of Jezebel. Now, Jezebel, let's talk about that name for a moment. We don't know whether Jezebel was this woman's real name or not. 
We can say that this was a real woman in the church in Thyatira who took the title of prophetess, meaning she said, what I am declaring to you is from the Lord. But I say we're not sure about whether it was her real name or not because Jezebel is a name that was infamous in Jewish history. In our context, as, I hate it, as, as much as I hate to say it, it would be akin to the name Monica or Stormy. Those names we immediately associate with scandal at the top. And when we hear Jezebel, when the church heard Jezebel, they thought of Jezebel of Tyre in 1 Kings. She married King Ahab and she imposed Baal worship on the northern kingdom of Israel. She was a wicked woman whose influence on King Ahab resulted in this statement from the Lord in 1 Kings 16, verse 33. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the other kings of Israel who were before him. So now here is this woman in this local church in Thyatira, a teacher of some prominence in the church, who is leading, through her teaching, leading people to sexual immorality and to things such as eating food sacrificed by idols. We don't know exactly what her teaching was, Precisely, perhaps it was, knowing the activity of the trade guilds that we talked about, perhaps it was a a perverted version of Christian liberty. Oh, you're free to do those things. We don't know. Jude had written about an infiltration of this nature decades earlier in the first century church. Not specifically in this church, but he wrote in Jude chapter 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed too long ago, were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that Jezebel was teaching and influencing people in the church in Thyatira about, the Lord Jesus calls it the deep things of Satan. And this is, this is just a reminder. We've been studying spiritual warfare in our discipleship hour. It's just another intersection of the reality that we are at war. And that the things happen in our midst are according to, often, mysteriously so, the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the evil one. <clears throat> Therefore, we must learn discernment. It's vital to our life together as the church of Jesus Christ. But how? How do we discern? Well, discernment does not mean that we have to understand every single false teaching that comes down the pike. We were talking just this morning about the necessity of beginning with the truth of knowing the truth. And here's where the rigorous, academic, intellectual tradition of Presbyterianism really gains its strength. And I'm not saying other churches are not strong on this as well. But I know the Presbyterians a lot get characterized as they're the intellectuals, they're the heady type. 
But this is in part why we need to be the heady type. Because we need to know what we believe. And sure, we as Presbyterians, we can struggle at times with the heart application of that head knowledge. And to be clear, we need the heart. We need the Spirit of God and His moving in our heady intellectual knowledge. But we must know the truth. Psalm 119, verse 66, teach me good judgment and knowledge for I believe in your commandments. Proverbs 15, 14, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouths of fools feed on folly. And in Philippians 1, Paul says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment. And think about it, we are in a much, much better place in regards to the truth, in regards to knowledge, in regards to discernment, than this church in Thyatira was. We have no excuse. We have the canon of Scripture. We have years and years of faithful interpretation of that word. We must know the truth. But let me say this, especially for, especially for our youth in this room. Discerning truth from error, which, which as I've just pressed into, begins by knowing the truth of God's word. Discerning truth and error, and error continues through the thoughtful engagement of opposing views. And why do I say that? Because I don't want us to leave, I don't want you to leave with the impression that we just stick our heads in the sand. If we just know enough Bible verses that we can throw around, that that's going to be sufficient. Oh, it's powerful. Believe me, it is. And we must know the truth. But Christianity and our faith can stand up to the questions. It can stand up to the doubts. So yes, we begin by knowing the truth, but then discernment engages thoughtfully opposing views. And then guided by His Spirit, we learn to discern. Well, this is not easy. It's not easy to discern It's not easy to divide truth from error, especially when you're dealing with people. Which brings me to the second truth this morning that I want to talk about. Jesus not only calls us as a church to the vital work of discernment, but Jesus calls us to the difficult duty of discipline. Better take a sip of water after that one. It's interesting how my older children, my young adults in my house, it's interesting how they talk about their memories of, of discipline in the Hitchcock home. Just the fact that they can talk about discipline to me, sometimes in a joking, prodding manner, always respectful. But those were situations that I guarantee at the time They weren't happy about the discipline. But now thankfully, 
they can look back with some clarity and it gives me hope that those actions, though they were far from perfect, though I failed, had their intended purpose. Because indeed, in all of our discipline for all of our kids, and many of you are living this right now, many of you have lived this in years past, many of you have lived it in other ways, in all of our discipline, our hearts are for our kids. Our hearts are for them. In this message to Thyatira, we hear some really difficult words from Jesus. Before we talk about those words, I, I want us to hear and to understand Jesus' heart because his heart is the same as our hearts for our children. Notice, he's not quick to condemn Jesus isn't. He's patient, desiring that all turn to him in repentance and faith. Verse 21, I gave her Jezebel, whether that's her real name or not, I gave Jezebel time to repent, and yet she refused. As one commentator said, well, judgment comes only after mercy and grace have been spurned. Jezebel has spurned the mercy and grace of the Savior. We need to remember that as we begin to take on and digest Jesus' words here. Discipline is never easy, whether it's in the home, especially when it's in the church. However, it's absolutely necessary in order to reclaim the sinner and in order to protect the church. And discipline, discipline's not a nasty word. Even when we use it in the context of church life, it's not a nasty word. It begins simply with admonishment. So if you're going to think about discipline, think first about that word admonishment. That's a nice soft word, admonish. Speak the truth in love. Warn someone of a danger that lies ahead. And that's what the church in Thyatira failed to do. And as a result, greater danger lies before them. Because God's judgment is coming. If Jezebel doesn't repent, the Lord says that he will cause her to be sick. Yes, literally sick. Physically sick. This has already happened in the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine and twenty and thirty, for anyone who eats and drinks, Paul is talking about uh, the Lord's table and about coming to the Lord's table. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment upon himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. And the Lord Jesus says. Not only will Jezebel be sick, but if her followers, here he calls them her children, not literal children, but those who are taking her teaching and putting it into practice, if they don't repent, they will experience tribulation and possibly even death. We say, whoa, Jesus. No, don't forget his heart. 
Don't forget his patience. Don't forget or, or see the seriousness of sin in his eyes. Eyes like a flame of fire that search everything and that burn with holiness. One of the reasons why I wanted to read Hosea, that passage when we came to the promise of forgiveness earlier in the service was because this is the jealousy with which the Lord protects his bride, the church. Thyatira was a city that revered Apollos, the son of Zeus. And Jesus declares in this letter, these are the words of the Son of God who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So he reminds his church of the need for discipline and discernment. But let me anticipate what is maybe an objection, a possible objection to some of you sitting there. What about Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 1? Judge not let you, lest you be judged, or that you not be judged. Boy, we, we have that verse thrown at us so many times. And then the Apostle Paul seems to counter with 1 Thessalonians 5.21. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. So which is it? Don't judge anything or test everything. Well, the answer is, it's both. This isn't a contradiction. This is an acknowledgement that not all judging is equal. You see, there are judgments that we can make of others, judgments concerning matters of conscience, judgments concerning things that aren't clearly revealed to us in Scripture that Jesus tells us to abstain from. That's not your place. Romans 14 and the discussion of the weaker brother is an example of this. And Paul warns his church in 1 Corinthians 4 to not go beyond what is written. So yes, judge not, lest you be judged. However, those things that are clearly revealed to us, we must use discernment. We must, in some instances, cast judgment. We are to test, let me just give you three. Acts 17, 11, we are to test teaching. Paul commends the church in Berea. He says, they receive the word with eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were testing. They were making judgments on what they heard. We are to test leaders. 1 Timothy 3, verse 10, speaking of the qualifications for deacons, and let them be tested first, and then let them serve as deacons, if they prove themselves blameless, we are to test even ourselves. Second Corinthians 13, verse 5, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. You see, the point is that the notion of Christians never casting judgment upon others, it just isn't biblical. To be sure, there is an unbiblical casting of judgment. 
One must always check the the log in one's own eye before you try to pick out the speck in another's eye. But we must be people of discernment. We must be people of discipline if necessary. Brothers and sisters, this requires careful attention. It requires loving care. And most of all, it requires a corporate identity. You are, in some sense, your brothers and sisters' keepers. See, the Lord doesn't simply view this congregation or any congregation as a once-a-week gathering of individual souls. Yes, your individual soul, your individual identity is crucial before the Lord. But if we've learned anything in these past weeks of looking at these churches, it's that the corporate identity of the church matters to the Lord. The church at Corinth, those poor people of Corinth, we bring them up a lot because they had so much trouble, but they had failed to confront sin as well. 1 Corinthians 5, it's imported among you, Paul says, that there's sexuality among you, and you're arrogant, ought you not to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Paul's point, Paul's reminder is, look around. Whether you like it or not, you are connected to these people that you sit next to this morning. Yeah, you have your individual spheres of influence, you have your individual lives, but you are connected. And that's why we ask when we receive new members, and we've done it recently, that's why we ask questions of you, of ourselves, to remind us of these things. Do you promise to take seriously your responsibilities, to build them up, and to seek to practice with them true Christian community and true biblical church life? And the answer is we do, because true Christian community and true biblical church life involves not only encouraging one another, not only serving with one another, but protecting one another. Protecting one another from our spiritual enemy. We've been reminded of that over and over again. What lies are you believing, brother? Protecting one another from enemies in this church who wish to prey on those in this church. And even protecting one another from one another. Discernment, careful discernment, and discipline. Loving discipline. That's what the Lord Jesus calls his church to this morning. May we be granted the grace to walk in his ways. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your word. Father, we thank you for the revelation of your heart 
For those who are wayward, for those who are wandering, you are patient. You are desirous that the sinner be reclaimed through repentance. Father, I pray that you would increasingly work in us as a congregation discernment, that you would give us boldness and courage to speak the truth in love when necessary to admonish one another, that we might indeed be protected from our enemy, from he who wishes to bring shame and dishonor upon the name of Christ. O Holy Spirit, impress these truths upon us. Give us strength to walk in them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.